Hi folks, this is Rune. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Ellen Montgomery's Anne of Bean Gables with Chapter 29, An Epoch in Anne's Life. Cue the music! Hey, Ruth. So, uh, <laughs> we were discussing before we started um, uh, how on the weekend I went up to see a friend and I got a lift from our friends Kenneth and Lisa, and I was discussing Anne with Lisa, who's read the book. Yeah. I was meant to go to that, but... Yeah. You, you had a... I had a surprise birthday thing. How was your surprise birthday lunch? My surprise birthday thing that had to be told to me that it was a surprise birthday thing so I didn't go up to Brisbane was great. Um, we had food and cake and my niece was hilarious oh wonderful yes excellent. so so you you had a wonderful birthday yes, yes excellent yes. we were dis- but we were discussing Anne and I mentioned how the previous uh, chapter we just recorded was about Gilbert saving Anne's life and using that as an excuse to try and mend fences and mm. get back into her good graces to be friends with her and how that just brought back the incident like it happened. But what Lisa, when she was explaining to her husband, Kenneth, why Anne was mad at Gilbert, she talks about how Anne broke a slate over Gilbert's head, which I completely forgot about. Or when we were discussing it, um, it didn't resonate that, yes, 1905, that would have been like a giant thick piece of chalkboard that yeah. Anne broke over that boy's head. <laughs> yeah. Which that she hit over his head with enough force to crack it. She probably cracked the head, too. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, yeah. Well, and we discussed it was, it was teasing. Well, it was more than teasing because he also, I mean, he physically pulled a braid. And, and, and but it was the carrots that um, yeah, the carrots set really, her off. Really set her off badly. But, but then I, I can't remember how it happened, but... <laughs> <laughs> came up with the you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yes. She has some <laughs> anger management issues. Anger management. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that was a horrible pun, but it was great. But what what a um set of chapters last week cuz not only the Anne almost drowning um, which sent her friends into an absolute tizzy. Yes. Uh, but the chapter before, she had to have her head shaved. Yeah, because she dyed her hair. Oh, child. Because um, she, she, got, she got taken in by a salesman. Yes. Well, also, her vanity about her hair was kind of... Well, her, her vanity... It's not vanity... Is it vanity? It's vanity. It is technically a form of vanity when you when you're not happy or um, upset or constantly fixated on something. Although we have discussed before that even to this day, having ginger red or carrot red hair can be a source of people projecting their um, religious beliefs on that particular trait because or it's rare. Be, because it. Yeah, because of the rarity of it, though, it sounds so noticeable. Like, um, actually, just the other day, I was driving, and I stopped at a red light, and in front of me on the crosswalk were a bunch of pedestrians, mm. and there was a group of three girls, probably like ages 8 to 12, mm. and two of them 
one older, one younger had bright red hair, like Anne's type of red mm. hair. And my eyes instantly went to that, and my brain thought, oh, they must be sisters. Yeah, because it's genetically rare, yeah. Yeah, just so rare to see at least that shade of red. And, of course, yes, they were very pasty with freckles as oh, well. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. The, the, the general, um, they're probably also going to be resistant to, um, what's it called, to uh, pain treatment, local anesthetics and a whole bunch of stuff. They, they, it's, a, it's, it's all it's a genetic cocktail. Genetic cocktail of, <laughs> of, of interesting things. I can't remember. They've, they either have heightened or reduced pain perception. I can't remember. I think it might be reduced, but I might be wrong. Sorry. Apologies. I have forgotten that part of my genetics knowledge. Well, it's funny also how all this stuff seems to link together. It's, it, you know, with um, red hair itself being a mutation in uh, genetics, how it seems to um, link to all these other things quite uh Quite consistently, mm. like like as you said, people who have red hair usually have all these yes. other traits. Which yes, there we go. I've got it. It's like yeah, they've got the traits of they actually perceive pain. They're more sensitive to thermal and electrical pain. Um, thermal sorry, and electrical. No, huh. sorry, wrong. Go back. They are more sensitive to thermal pain, and they are less sensitive to a wide array of painful stimuli, including electrically induced pain. So. It's not that they are more or less tolerant of tolerant of pain. Tolerance of pain is a whole other topic, but that they perceive it very differently. Um, also, 19% more inhaled general anesthesia is required for someone who is redhead. Is that because that. of the tolerance to pain, you think? No, uh, no it's um, metabolism. It would be a meta metabolic thing. There is. They're more vulnerable to extreme temperatures, especially the cold, which is hilarious given the fact that they were predominantly in colder territories. Yes. Although that's not true. There are redheads in every population around the world. Do not assume. Um, no, seriously. Every population. Every population in the world has the red hair variant. Huh. Every population. We most commonly associate it with people who are pale and freckled because of the way the media right. fixates on um, and more Eurocentric Or versions. both from Caucasian cultures. Yeah, well, the fixation. See, I don't like the word Caucasian because of the whole, it's not actually accurate. It's not accurate. Right. Caucasus is in the Middle East. Um, ah. <laughs> I mean, the Caucasian regions are that border between Europe and... and Should I just say white then? Yeah, stick to white. Uh, Western European folk... Yeah, but this is on is they're less responsive to the anesthetic. Yes, that nineteen percent. <coughs> less vulnerable to various types of pain, including electrical shocks. Less responsive to spicy foods. Hmm. They can eat spicy food. Um, more sensitive to painkillers, which again, with the fact that the general anesthesia is not as effective, is a whole wait, wait. mystery. So tolerance to spicy foods is genetic. Oh yeah. Would that you, be you like? You can build it up, but it's it is. Would that be it. maybe like the receptors on the tongue have less spice? Yeah, it it would be tongue, but it would also be how the brain processes the information from the tongue. Ah, and maybe how the stomach. Uh, well, yeah, the, the digestion part is a whole nother thing. They are more afraid of the dentist and feel toothaches more strongly. Well, uh, given the fact that the they have issues with anesthesia, that's not surprising. You know. Um, um, yeah. Because uh, I have a very low tolerance to every type of pain. The dentist is always difficult for me because, you know, just the general prodding of the teeth and gums to clear the plaque off, that's 
agony for me. Well, the the the, the receptor that's involved is MC1R and also other subgroups of MC2R and MC3R, MC4. They all there there are links to variations in that and redhead um, traits, hmm. um, and it could explain why. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into this one. They have a whole bunch of. Um, Interesting traits. We don't know the exact mechanisms behind a lot of it. So they're not witches, though. Can we please clarify <laughs> that? So, to to bring this to Anne, who is probably exhibits all those traits. Well, yeah, let's go with that. But the the fact that they feel a different kind of pain is the thing. I wonder how much uh, spicy food she would be exposed to in Avonlea. Probably less so because radishes. Maybe that's the extent. That's the extent. <laughs> Um, Man, I'll tell you, when I was like five or six, um, I I remember tasting a radish for the first time, and oh, I had to spit it out in the sink. That just... It doesn't work for everyone, definitely not. Uh, I'm just going to look up, just because it's fun, redheaded temper. Uh, (laughs) Hey, hey, that's a harmful stereotype. Oh, no, there's a reason. There's a possible reason for it. Uh, Their natural ability to... Okay, so this is from the Irish Times. Don't even get me started on the fact that that's hilarious. It is pretty funny. Stop it. <laughs> this is not from a scientific paper. This is from the Irish Times. So take it with a pinch of salt. Stop laughing. <laughs> I'm trying not to talk. Uh, okay. Go on. <laughs> so... Um, apparently the stereotyping of redheads, women tend to get a better deal. Redheaded women mm. are often portrayed as sexy, fiery-tempered vixens, which may be linked to their ability to produce more vitamin D, a source of strength. So vitamin D, that's true, it can actually affect different aspects of how, like, what kind of hormonal um, rates are about. There's also a higher rate of endometriosis and a higher rate of all sorts of ovary and womb related complications mm. so the, that can in itself be an indicator of hormonal difference and this doesn't mean that the rest of the population can't have it just means there's a slight mm-hmm. slightly elevated proportion but red-headed men have been um <laughs> this is from the irish times don't hate me um, historically, the association has been either the savage barbarian or the red-headed clown, with redheads being persecuted and vilified through the, the ages. Again, this is Irish. This is this is uh, very heavily Western European. I have seen that in stories like illustrated or TV movie stories before about like the red-headed uh, lumberjack. Yes. Yeah. With the big bushy beard. Um, and it's it's interesting that there is a, a global distribution of red hair. Yes, you're going to have more in our they're so very rare. Just looking at <laughs> looking at an article in the Telegraph, which is again not the most reputable source, but the the stats they're linking to. Um, that's just Europe. Fifteen maps that was it? So apparently, the history of the red hair, the Volga region, has the most gingers per capita than anywhere else in the world, bar Ireland. The Udmurt people of the region have been described as the most red-headed men of the world, whilst their ancient relatives, the Budini people, were noted for their fiery hair by their Greek historian. Where is that region? That is a good question. Um, Ashkenazi Jews also have a high rate of red hair, which we know. Um, I'm trying to find out where the Urdut. Urdut is somewhere in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> That's not helpful. Everything here is something. Somewhere in the middle of somewhere. Red hair directly, first red hairs. Germanic people have been described as red-haired Celtic people have been described. Which country has the most? 
it's really complicated and if you go into it it's interesting because you've got red asset redheaded people people who have variants of the m uh, mcr mc1r mc2r and all that that there's that happens globally why is there a ginger i mean yeah thinking about it i don't think i've seen too many red-haired africans or like chinese or japanese it doesn't mean they don't exist i just can't recall well they're statistically rare but they've seen any yeah um or even no i don't think i've ever seen a red-haired middle eastern person no there's heaps like my grandpa had not my grandpa my great uncle has had red hair again red hair I, I, I i'm also not well traveled so <laughs> no like it's it's genetically it's one of those things that it can happen in any population it's still extremely rare the places where it's been what where the yeah, i said red hair per capita is higher are Folks of Celtic origin. Um, I'm going to look up population. Scotland has the highest percentage. Scotland. Scotland has the highest percentage. Over Ireland. Carry the gene. Yep. Huh. So 13% of the population versus 10% of the population. This is all um, uh, Hey, hey look, look up the population of Canada, oh, like the, like the red-haired population. Well, I think they're focusing more on ethnicity than anything else. Oh, true. And also, like, um, modern because of immigration and all that. Yeah. So the, 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 um, the popular, so Eastern and Southern Europe, they've got, uh, the, the percentages seem to vary. They say 10%, so one place says 10% is for Ireland and 6% in Scotland, but then you've got other data that says that it's 12%. So it's it's good luck with mapping all that until you go through the entire population and actually get it. Mm. How many redheads in the world? So many are redheads with blue eyes really going extinct. This These are such sensationalist. Um, Maybe we should move on to the writing. We should, we should. And leave the deep dive of um, yes, we can, you can edit red-haired it. statistics to another time. Yeah, I, I, I need to know this, though. Put it on the back burner. Give me one second. Give me one second. I just want to look up. Uh, yeah. It occurs naturally. Italy is lower. Northern, okay, Northern Africa and Mediterranean, the Berber population of Morocco have occasional redheads. It's very significant from the Rufians in Algeria and Morocco, sorry, Morocco and Kabyles from Algeria. So there's a whole bunch. Asia, all regions. It's very rare. It's Auburn in Iran, Levant, um, so Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, Palestine. Turkey, Caucasia, and yes, um, it's it's basically there's so many. Right. The, it, it is a thing. Uh, women with reddish brown hair in Papua New Guinea, Melanesians have a significant incident of mixed fair hair, um, which is not due to mixed population. We're talking, they have a different kind of blonde in Melanesian hair, which is fascinating. Huh. Yeah, that's how that's right. Okay. Hmm. Ah, uh, yeah, that's Baduni. I don't know what Baduni is. I need to find out now. Because that's what we were talking about before. Ancient Greek. I'm sorry, folks. Rue has fallen down a Wikipedia tunnel. <laughs> okay, and now we're, we can return back to uh, Anne, <laughs> our our uh, actual um, the red hair in question. But it's it's interesting when you try and look at the science reflecting on and try and speculate why she would be the way she is. And I think for Ellen Montgomery, obviously, a lot of this information 
Did she have red hair? I don't know. I have to look that up. Oh, wait, no, I, I shouldn't prompt more research. Not right now. <laughs> but, like, it would be interesting to look into it. Um, red hair, we've mentioned this before, has cultural significance. Yeah. We know there are stereotypes associated yep. with it. But we're talking in the time where Anne existed, being an orphan was bad enough. Mm-hmm. Being an orphan who had red hair and was a girl. And freckles. And freckles and all those things would have... And scrawny. And also, we add, on top of that, her actual personality and character mm-hmm. and intelligence and traits. Yeah. It, it, it's um, it's kind of like the deck was really stacked against Yeah, her. and so that's why I don't... I mean, I don't condone violence in that sense. Um, but I understand why she cracked this. Like, that was a very long way to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> That was a very long way involving a deep dive into Wikipedia. Um, look, look, we don't take the straight route ever. Ever, no. But the fact that she cracked a slate on Gilbert's head for pulling her hair and pulling her carrots and doing all sorts of weird teasing stuff to the people around her, not surprised. And one thing, you know, I did like about that exchange when he rescued her was that she was very close to forgiving him. But him bringing up the incident, or at least wanting them to be friends because he apologized for the incident, yeah. brought it right back. It's and because good. the strength of her emotion was so strong, like afterwards she even felt a little remorseful about the way she acted. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it, that that's... He could have just done it, helped her, saved her, and said, look... If at any stage you'd like to be friends, I'd really I'd mm. prefer that. I'd, like, I'd like to be your friend. Yeah. And then not bring up anything else and say, but, and also not going to assume that it's a given. He, he assumed that she would, I mean, yes, he saved her life, but he assumed that it was a given that when you ask for forgiveness, you'll be given forgiveness. Yes, and that's probably a life lesson for him as well. It is a life lesson, but not only that, it's the same kind of entitlement yeah there's a certain level of entitlement the fact that even when she wasn't the person to blame when when they came, went for the spruce gum and the boys were were yes. the reason that, that she was late yeah that she's the only one that got picked on yep because so that, the because and i think it's a rather cowardly action he didn't want to punish like half the class mm. So he decided, oh, I'm going to single out one person. Oh, let's single out Anne. Yeah, let's single out the one who is the orphan, who is a girl, and who is already standing out from the others by virtue of her hair and her appearance and her character. And and got in trouble before. And got in trouble before because of her temper fairly recently. So, yeah, that whole combination of events. Now, um, moving on to this chapter. Well... Okay, this might be spoilers, so if it is... Actually, I'll just ask you a question, and you don't have to answer. Hmm. Does, does Anne ever forgive Gilbert? I think we should continue with the okay. chapter. <laughs> that's actually a great, that's a great answer. Let's continue. Let's continue. An epoch in Anne's life. So epoch being a significant uh, period of time that has passed or been noted. Of course, we start with Anne was bringing the cows home from the back pasture by the way of Lover's Lane. That's an interesting way to start off the whole an epoch in Anne's life. 
Anne was bringing the cows home from the back pasture by way of Lover's Lane. It was a September evening, and all the gaps and clearings in the woods were brimmed up with ruby sunset light. Here and there the lane was splashed with it, but for the most part it was already quite shadowy beneath the maples, and the spaces under the firs were filled with a clear violet dusk-like airy wine. The winds were out in their tops, and there is no sweeter music on earth than that which the wind makes in the fir trees at evenings. The cows swung placidly down the lane, and Anne followed them, dreamily repeating aloud the battle canto from Marmion, which had also been part of the English chorus the preceding winter, and which Miss Stacy had made them learn off by heart, and, exulting in its rushing lines and the clash of spears in its imagery when she came to the lines, the stubborn spearsmen still made good, their dark impenetrable wood, she stopped in ecstasy to shut her eyes that she might the better fancy herself one of that heroic ring. When she opened them again, it was to behold Diana coming through the gate that led into the barry field, and looking so important that Anne instantly divined there was news to be told. But betray too eager curiosity she would not. Isn't this evening just like a purple dream, Diana? It makes me so glad to be alive. In the mornings, I always think the mornings are best, but when evening comes, I think it's lovelier still. It's a very fine evening, said Diana. But, oh, I have such news, Anne. Guess. You can have three guesses. Charlotte Gillis is to be married in the church after all, and Mrs. Allen wants us to decorate it, cried Anne. No, Charlotte's beau won't agree to that, because nobody ever has been married in the church yet, and he thinks it would seem too much like a funeral. It's too mean, because it would be such fun. Guess again. Jane's mother is going to let her have a birthday party? Diana shook her head, her black eyes dancing with merriment. I can't think what it can be, said Anne in despair. Unless it's that Moody Spurgeon Macpherson saw you home from prayer meeting last night, did he? I should think not, exclaimed Diana indignantly. I wouldn't be likely to boast of it if he did, the horrid creature. <laughs> I knew you couldn't guess it. Mother had a letter from Aunt Josephine today, and Aunt Josephine wants you and me to go to town next Tuesday and stop with her for the exhibition. There. Oh, Diana, whispered Anne, finding it necessary to lean up against the maple tree for support. Do you really mean it? But I'm afraid Marilla won't let me go. She will say that she can't encourage gadding about. That was what she said last week when Jane invited me to go with them in their double-seated buggy to the American concert at the White Sands Hotel. I wanted to go, but Marilla said I'd be better at home learning my lessons, and so would Jane. I was bitterly disappointed, Diana. I felt so heartbroken that I wouldn't say my prayers when I went to bed, but I repented of that and got up in the middle of the night and said to them. I'll tell you, said Diana. We'll get Mother to ask Marilla. She'll be more likely to let you go then, and if she does, we'll have the time of our lives, Anne. I've never been to an exhibition, and it's so aggravating to hear the other girls talking about their trips. Jane and Ruby have been twice, and they're going this year again. I'm not going to think about it at all, until I know whether I can go or not, said Anne resolutely. If I did, and then was disappointed, it would be more than I could bear. But in case I do go, I'm very glad my new coat will be ready by that time. Marilla didn't think I needed a new coat. She said my old one would do very well for another winter and that I ought to be satisfied with having a new dress. 
the dress is very pretty diana navy blue and made so fashionably marilla always makes my dresses fashionably now because she says she doesn't intend to have matthew going to mrs lynde to make them <laughs> i'm so glad it is ever so much easier to be good if your clothes are fashionable <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like there's um in uh that movie parasite that everyone's been talking about from 2019 um it's kind of based on class a, a poor family works their way into being servants of a rich family in south korea and when the rich family go away camping they kind of have their own little party in their house yeah. and they're they're the they're talking nastily about the rich family and i i think the 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 son of the family goes well you know the mother she is nice and his mother just kind of bats him and goes yeah she can afford to be nice if i was rich i could be nice too yeah i think that's that's an it's an interesting point well, that that just rema reminded me of that well here's here's something that was uh, that was also said um something that just we'll get back to this thing but Anne was saying um i'm not going to think about it remember the church picnic oh yes that yeah. almost destroyed her. <laughs> yeah. And and the concert and the, like all these things that she she would build up, build up, build mm -hmm. up. And then when something went wrong or if it didn't happen or she was delayed or whatever, it was, it, yeah. Or Marilla said no, it was too much. She couldn't cope. So she, she's, she's learning. Yeah, learning coping strategies. Yeah, she's learning to be a little bit more thing, and she's she is more appreciative. Oh gosh, she always is appreciative. She's never not been appreciative, but. She's more conscious of what Marilla, why Marilla wants her to be yes. appreciative. So it's, that's not bad. And also she understands and acknowledges that Marilla has a different point of view and that it has value. Mm -hmm. mm. I'm going to go back to the last one. Okay. It is ever so much easier to be good if your clothes are fashionable. At least it is easier for me. I suppose it doesn't make such a difference to naturally good people. But Matthew said, I must have a new coat. So Marilla bought a lovely piece of blue broadcloth, and it's being made by a real dressmaker over at Carmody. Ooh. It's to be done Saturday night, and I'm trying not to imagine myself walking up the church aisle on Sunday in my new suit and cap, because I'm afraid it isn't right to imagine such things. But it just slips into my mind in spite of me. My cap is so pretty. Matthew bought it for me the day we were over at Carmody. It is one of those little blue velvet ones that are all the rage with gold cord and tassels. Your new hat is elegant, Diana, and so becoming. When I saw you come into church last Sunday, my heart swelled with pride to think that you were my dearest friend. Do you suppose it is wrong for us to think so much about our clothes? Marilla says it is very sinful. But it is such an interesting subject, isn't it? Still wrestling with, uh, but I like that she kind of recognizes it. Yeah, she's she's much more aware, much more self-aware, much more aware of implications and meaning, and she's appreciative when she receives something like a, a new hat and aware mm -hmm. of it. But she's also very, um, she knows that it, it's it's something that helps her feel more secure mm. in terms of she has her appearance is part of. Also, if you stand out by being shabby compared to the rest of society, you, you're always going to be treated shabby. Yes, I mean... It's not not because they should treat you that way, but because that's the way, especially small provincial town. First impressions matter a lot still. And I think I've mentioned this 
or yeah, you. <clears throat> it's very easy to look at someone uh, who's not dressed the best and to kind of instantly go, mm, maybe I should walk a little further away from them. It's actually a problem with uh, patients who come into the doctor, um, yeah. especially if they've got chronic illnesses and stuff. If you dress up too much, if you're looking too well put together, they think you mustn't be that ill. Oh. And if you are looking too shabby and too not like that you don't look after yourself, they think that it's a mental health or a psychiatric thing. It's a real hard and yeah. And the re the way patients know this, by the way, is that they've requested their notes from a lot of their um, treating healthcare professionals. Especially when they get a feeling that something is not being taken seriously, or it's being, they're being deflected, and it's not being treated as a physiological, purely physiological matter, and just being deflected as a, anyway, it gets messy. Yes, there are psychological aspects to health and medicine, but they are not always the cause of the issues. Small rant. Um, but yeah, they get a copy of their things, and then they'll they'll see notes like doesn't seem to have showered in the last few days, doesn't seem well put together, depression question mark things like that. And you can't make snap judgments, especially in health when people are coming in for their worst case. Like they they're not coming in on their in their best situation. They're usually coming in on their worst situation. How they cope with that if they decide to wear makeup and dress up, that can be a coping mechanism. Anyway. Side rant. Yeah. But yes. <clears throat> I have thoughts on that, but let's continue. Yes. Like, mm. and no, ag agreeing with you yeah, thoughts, yeah. but kind of my own experience. Yeah, it happens so much. Marilla agreed to let Anne go to the town, and it was arranged that Mr. Barry should take the girls in on the following Tuesday. As Charlottetown was 30 miles away, and Mr. Barry wished to go and return the next day, it was necessary to make a very early start. 30 miles, it's about 60 kilometers? Ish? Yeah. Ish? Very ish. Um, that'd be from us to our capital. Maybe a little closer. You mean to Brisbane? Yeah. Mm. About about here to Brisbane. Ish. Sorry, it's just weird you saying our capital because even though Brisbane is the capital of Queensland, I, I've state never capital. really thought of it as the capital. It's hard to think of Brisbane as a state capital, but it is. So if, if, if you've been to Brisbane, you'll understand why. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know that's always the case. I come from Washington State in the U.S. And many people think Seattle is the capital of Washington. It is not so. It's Olympia, this little dinky, almost hole in the wall town. Like it's one Sorry, of the. Olympia. Sorry. Apologies to Brisbane and Olympia straight away. It's they they are they have merit. They are lovely in their own right. It's just that you don't necessarily associate them with the state capital. Yeah, well, it's def Olympia is definitely not a place you'd associate with being the state capital. But, but you know, it's the similar, yeah. like New York, the capital is not New York, it's Albany. It's further upstate, yeah. although Albany's quite a nice town, from what yeah. I understand. Well, I mean, Brisbane's not, not a nice town. No, no, actually, like, maybe it's compared to what the Gold Coast is culture-wise, but Brisbane has a great amount of art culture. In it. Oh, that's great. The, the, I mean, Gold Coast has its own. It's great. We're getting there, okay? Getting there. Yeah. Um, late next, well, late this year now, uh, they're going to finish the uh, the gallery at the um, Gold Coast Art Center. Yes, I'm very excited. That's going to be amazing. Very excited. Um, and next next uh, was it next month we have a bridge that's opening across from one of our rivers that's a gonna bridge connect. a bridge well no it's connecting uh one of our well the the main home of the arts area 
to oh, that, right. a, so creating a thoroughfare so it actually becomes a destination. So if someone visits the Gold Coast, they can go walk across a bridge. In they, they don't have to go over Chevron. Yeah, they don't have to go over... Um, tra- the, the traffic should be significantly improved. No, and, you know, that is the problem. It's not that Chevron's not a nice place. It's just the traffic is well, also the, terrible. Well, we have a, a, a light rail or what used to be known as a tram, but it's a light rail that goes up and down that coast, and it'll be close to one of those stops, so it then means that we should be having better access to some of the facilities, um, which is good, and it's a lovely place. And I'm not just saying that because I'm part of the community choir that is... <laughs> no, I... I, I, just, I like the hotel. I, like the hotel. I, I mean, it's, uh, it's sometimes a bit of a drive, but it's probably the best place to see a movie. It is lovely, and it's it's getting there to the point where you can see that there's this, they're building up a culture of arts, but integrated with the community. So the community is is both nourished and by the arts, but also the, nourishes the flourishing of art. I like using those words because they're, they're, they're yeah, yeah. I, I mean, again, we have a ways to go from Brisbane, who had this wonderful string of museums and galleries, yes, yes. all in like but one it's nice. slot. It's, but... it's a, okay. Look, it's an hour's okay, maybe hour and a half on the train with the current issues um it's an hour and a half or so sometimes with a train or if you drive up it can be anything between 45 minutes and an hour you know and and that's it's def just that's completely on me but i've wanted to go you know like the the museum of modern art up in brisbane has a new showing like every six months you know they have a new thing and it's always worthwhile plus when you go there yeah the the other art galleries right next door then the science museum then if you want to go to a fantastic library that's right there you can walk over the bridge and have food and shop it's a really good place but it's just getting up there yes there you know um i don't call it laziness because as i age i i'm more and more believing that laziness isn't a real thing as does psychology in many aspects they don't think that laziness is a real thing but let's just say every time i think about either driving up or taking the train up I just don't have the energy to do it. No, it it puts you off because you remember the last time you went up and you remember how tired you were. You remember how much joy you had whilst you were there, but you also remember how tired you were, and then you just get tired thinking about it. It's one of those very That's true. Things. You you kind of defeat yourself before you even yep. make well, the I mean, trip. <laughs> like we were discussing, the, the that fear can be an inhibitor of growth and 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 action. Yes. Um and it's a case of acknowledging, accepting, okay, I might be tired, but you know what? When I get up there, I can have a really good coffee. Like you, you, you slowly negotiate with your, your barriers and, and form a thing. Yeah. Or you kind of go, hey, you know what would be fun? What could make the drive up fun? I'll go with someone that I know will enjoy yes, this Yes, people well. always make it easier. Yeah. I find, yeah, I have to go to Brisbane quite a bit for uh, multiple times a year just for specialists. And I try and combine it with visiting friends mm. in Brisbane or surrounds doesn't always work because after a doctor's appointment you're often exhausted and you don't want to deal with anything although the doctors i've been seeing up there are pretty good it's just that uh, it's tiring they're long, yeah. they're long sessions long discussions plus, um, plus it just like the energy going up to like visit people or drive up yeah. the energy to go to a doctor's appointment is another whole thing another topic um but yeah so we go uh, so usually i try and visit friends I, i'll try and visit the friends who understand what it's like to come out of a doctor's appointment 
So I might visit some of my friends who might have disabilities or are unwell because I know that they know what it's like to constantly be in and out of doctor's offices. Right. So they'll understand what energy level I'm at. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it it works. You you compromise. But I want to do some more. We should do that. Mm. And we will come and we will share our adventures with you guys here on the podcast. Sounds great. Ah, okay. Um, Yes, so Marilla agreed the same day. Okay, very early start. So very early start. But Anne counted it all joy and was up before sunrise on Tuesday morning. A glance from her window assured her that the day would be fine, for the eastern sky behind the firs of the haunted wood was all silvery and cloudless. So, sorry, I just love that it's still the haunted wood. It's the haunted wood now. We've accepted it. Through the gap in the trees, a light was shining in the western gable of Orchard Slope, a token that Diana was also up. Anne was dressed by the time Matthew had the fire on, and had the breakfast ready when Marilla came down, but for her own part was much too excited to eat. After breakfast, the jaunty new cap and jacket were donned, and Anne hastened over the brook and up through the firs to Orchard Slope. Mr. Barry and Diana were waiting for her, and they were soon on the road. It was a long drive, but Anne and Diana enjoyed every minute of it. It was delightful to rattle along over the moist roads in the early red sunlight that was creeping across the shorn harvest fields. The air was fresh and crisp, and little smoke-blue mists curled through the valleys and floated off from the hills. Sometimes the road went through the woods where maples were beginning to hang out scarlet banners. Sometimes it crossed rivers on bridges that made Anne's flesh cringe with the old half-delightful fear. Remember she was afraid of the bridges... Just oh, closing up in the middle. Yep. You know, I get that when I when bridge. I drive. Not when I drive over a bridge. When like there's a uh, traffic light at the other side of the bridge, so you have to stop on the yeah, bridge. Yeah, no, like it, it's it's a thing. <laughs> Lots of people have that fear. It's a really weird fear. Sometimes it wound along a harbor shore and passed by a little cluster of weather gray fishing huts. Again, it mounted to hills whence a far sweep of curving upland or misty blue sky could be seen. But wherever it went, there was much of interest to discuss. It was almost noon when they reached town and found their way to Beechwood. So beach, so it took them six hours, roughly. Yeah. Let's go with six hours, maybe a little more. Because it would have been before sunrise. Say sunrise is at, which it isn't. It would be at, it would be at like seven. Yeah, so, so say six to midday. It was almost noon when they reached town and found their way to Beechwood. It was quite a fine old mansion, set back from the street in a seclusion of green elms and branching beeches. Miss Barry met them at the door with a twinkle in her sharp black eyes. So you've come to see me at last, you Anne girl, she said. <laughs> Mercy child, how you've grown. You're taller than I am, I declare. And you're ever so much better looking than you used to be too. But I dare say you know that without being told. Indeed I didn't, said Anne radiantly. I know I'm not so freckled as I used to be, so I have much to be thankful for. Yeah, the, the freckle obsession. Yes. But I really hadn't dared hope there was any other improvement. I'm so glad you think there is, Miss Barry. Miss Barry's house was furnished with great magnificence, as Anne told Marilla afterwards. <laughs> the two little country girls were rather abashed by the splendor of the parlor where Miss Barry left them when she went to see about dinner. Isn't this just like a palace? whispered Diana. I never was in Aunt Josephine's house before, and I had no idea it was so grand. 
I just wish Julia Bell could see this. She puts on such airs about her mother's parlour. Velvet carpet, sighed Anne luxuriously, and silk curtains. I've dreamed of such things, Diana. But do you know, I don't believe I feel very comfortable with them after all. There are so many things in this room, and it's all so splendid, that there is no scope for imagination. That is one consolation when you are poor. There are so many more things that you can imagine about. Mm. Mm. This sojourn in town was something that Anne and Diana dated from for years. For first to last, it was crowded with delights. On Wednesday, Miss Barry took them to the exhibition grounds and kept them there all day. It was splendid, Anne related to Marilla later on. I never imagined anything so interesting. I don't really know which department was the most interesting. I think I like the horses and the flowers, and the fancy work best. Josie Pye took first prize for knitted lace. I was real glad that she did. And I was glad that I felt glad, for it shows I'm improving. Don't you think, Marilla, <laughs> when I can rejoice in Josie's success? <laughs> <laughs> ah, Josie. <clears throat> Mr. Harmon Andrews took second prize for Gravenstein apples, and Miss Bell took first prize for a pig. Diana said she thought it was ridiculous for a Sunday school superintendent to take a prize in pigs, but I don't see why. Do you? She said that she would always think of it after this when he was praying so solemnly. <laughs> That's funny. Clara Louise McPherson took a prize for painting, and Mrs. Lynde got first prize for homemade butter and cheese. So Avonlea was pretty well represented, wasn't it? Mrs. Lynde was there that day, and I never knew how much I really liked her until I saw her familiar face among all those strangers. There were thousands of people there, Marilla. It made me feel dreadfully insignificant. And Miss Barry took us up to the grandstand to see the horse races. Mrs. Lynde wouldn't go. She said horse racing was an abomination, and, she being a church member, thought it her bounden duty to set a good example by staying away. But there were so many there, I don't believe Mrs. Lynde's absence would ever be noticed. I don't think, though, that I ought to go very often to horse races, because they are awfully fascinating. Diana got so excited that she offered to bet me ten cents that the red horse would win. I didn't believe he would, but I refused to bet, because I wanted to tell Mrs. Allen about everything, and I felt sure it wouldn't do to tell her that. It's always wrong to do anything if you can't tell the minister's wife. <laughs> it's as good as an extra conscience to have a minister's wife for your friend. And I was very glad I didn't bet because the red horse did win and I would have lost 10 cents. So you see that virtue was its own reward. We saw a man go up in a balloon. I'd love to go up in a balloon, Marilla. It would be simply thrilling. And we saw a man selling fortunes. You paid him 10 cents and a little bird picked out your fortune for you. Miss Barry gave Diana and me ten cents, each to have our fortune told. Mine was that I would marry a dark-complected man who was very wealthy, and I would go across water to live. I looked carefully at all the dark men I saw after that, but I didn't care much for any. Oh it, it's that thing where once you buy a green car, you see green cars everywhere. <laughs> I looked very carefully at all the dark men I saw after that, but I didn't care much for any of them, and anyhow, I suppose it's too early to be looking out for him yet. Oh, it was a never-to-be-forgotten day, Marilla. I was so tired I couldn't sleep at night. Miss Barry put us in the spare room, according to a promise. It was an elegant room, Marilla, but somehow sleeping in a spare room isn't what I used to think it was. 
That's the worst of growing up, and I'm beginning to realize it. The things you wanted so much when you were a child don't seem half so wonderful to you when you get them. Thursday, the girls had a drive in the park, and in the evening, Miss Barry took them to a concert in the Academy of Music, where a noted prima donna was to sing. To Anne, the evening was a glittering vision of delight. Oh, Marilla, it was beyond description. I was so excited, I couldn't even talk, so you may know what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> It, it took me a second for that line to hit me. <laughs> <laughs> I just sat in an enraptured silence. Madame Selinsky was perfectly beautiful and wore white satin and diamonds. But when she began to sing, I never thought about anything else. Oh, I can't tell you how I felt. But it seemed to me that it could never be hard to be good anymore. I felt like I do when I look up to the stars. Tears came into my eyes. Oh, they were such happy tears. I was so sorry when it was all over, and I told Miss Barry I didn't see how I was ever to return to common life again. She said she thought if we went over to the restaurant across the street and had an ice cream, it might help me. <laughs> that sounded so prosaic, but to my surprise, I found it true. The ice cream was delicious, Marilla, and it was so lovely and dissipated to be sitting there eating it at eleven o'clock at night. Diana said she believed she was born for city life. Miss Barry asked me what my opinion was, but I said I would have to think it over very seriously before I could tell her what I really thought. So I thought it over after I went to bed. That is the best time to think things out. And I came to the conclusion, Marilla, that I wasn't born for city life and that I was glad of it. It's nice to be eating ice cream at brilliant restaurants at 11 o'clock at night once in a while, but as a regular thing, I'd rather be in the East Gable at 11, sound asleep, but kind of knowing, even in my sleep, that the stars were shining outside and that the wind was blowing in the firs across the brook. I told Miss Barry so at breakfast the next morning, and she laughed. Miss Barry generally laughed at anything I said, <laughs> even when I said the most solemn things. I don't think I liked it, Marilla, because I wasn't trying to be funny. But she is the most hospitable lady, and she treated us royally. Friday brought growing home time, and Mr. Barry drove in for the girls. Well, I hope you enjoyed yourselves, said Miss Barry, as she bade them goodbye. Indeed we have, said Diana. And you, Anne girl? I've enjoyed every minute of the time, said Anne, throwing her arms impulsively about the old woman's neck and kissing her wrinkled cheek. Diana would never have dared to do such a thing and felt rather aghast at Anne's freedom, but Miss Barry was pleased as she stood on her veranda and watched the buggy out of sight. Then she went back into her big house with a sigh. It seemed very lonely, lacking those fresh young lights. Miss Barry was a rather selfish old lady, if the truth must be told, and had never cared much for anybody but herself. She valued people only as they were of service to her or amused her. Anne had amused her and consequently stood high in the old lady's good graces, but Miss Barry found herself thinking less about Anne's quaint speeches than of her fresh enthusiasms, her transparent emotions, her little winning ways, and the sweetness of her eyes and lips. I thought Marilla Cuthbert was an old fool when I heard she'd adopted a girl out of an orphan asylum, she said to herself. But I guess she didn't make as much of a mistake after all. 
if I'd a girl like Anne in the house all the time, I'd be a better and happier woman. Uh-huh. Anne and Diana found the drive home as pleasant as the drive in. Pleasanter, indeed, since there was the delightful consciousness of home waiting at the end of it. It was sunset when they passed through White Sands and turned into the shore road. Beyond, the Avonlea hills came out darkly against the saffron sky. Behind them, the moon was rising out of the sea that grew all radiant and transfigured in her light. Every little cove along the curving road was a marvel of dancing ripples. The waves broke with a soft swish on the rocks below them, and the tang of the sea was in the strong, fresh air. Oh, but it's good to be alive and to be going home, breathed Anne. When she crossed the log bridge over the brook, the kitchen light of Green Gables winked her a friendly welcome back, and through the open door shone the hearth fire, sending out its warm red glow athwart the chilly autumn night. Anne ran blithely up the hill into the kitchen, where a hot supper was waiting on the table. So you've got back, said Marilla, folding up her knitting. Yes, and oh, it's so good to be back, said Anne joyously. I could kiss everything, even to the clock. Marilla, a broiled chicken. You don't mean to say you cooked that for me? Yes, I did, said Marilla. I thought you'd be hungry after such a drive, and you'd need something real appetizing. Hurry and take off your things, and we'll have supper as soon as Matthew comes in. I'm glad you've got back. I must say, it's been fearful lonesome here without you, and I never put in four longer days. Mm -hmm. Echoing what Miss Berry was saying about when they left. Yeah. After supper, Anne sat before the fire between Matthew and Marilla and gave them a full account of her visit. I've had a splendid time, she concluded happily, and I feel that it marks an epoch in my life. But the best of it all is the coming home. Oh, what a beautiful chapter. So the so the epoch um the pinpoint of the epoch was the listening to the singer. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Like it's it's marked a change in her. Well, she's commenting all along the while. She said, like, there's things that you want when you're a child. And you imagine she was saying it about the spare room. And that once you, when you achieve them, or when you see them, when you experience them, they no longer hold that, when you're older, you, it's not actually as special or as thing as you'd imagined. Well, I think what she's also coming across is that idea that, um, you know, I haven't been fortunate enough to discover it in larger ways, but I hear others talk about, you know, you you feel like once I get fame and fortune, I'll be happy, and then these people get money and influence, and suddenly... Well, they don't appreciate it because the mind always goes to what's the next goal I want to achieve. It's almost never being able to appreciate what you have because you're always looking for something else. I think she's developed a sense of contentment. She can still appreciate and recognize. And I mean, she said with the clothing, with everything, she appreciates things, but she is content as well. She, She really genuinely has a sense of feeling safe and belonging. And it's not it's not dependent on material things such as what she imagined, which is like the the velvet carpet and the rich brocade. Well, when she said she didn't feel comfortable in that room, I related far too uh, much that because I it, again, it's kind of how little I do think of myself, my self worth. Mm. But you know, if I like dress up in like a nice uh, ironed white collared shirt with like slacks and a tie and a, like a jacket, you know. 
some I feel very uncomfortable in that. Yeah, and I think it, it is it's part of it is self worth, but I think in her case she's just kind of going it's not as it's not the same as when you don't have and you imagine because that's more com it brings you comfort and you get to express and you get to explore in your imagination. She said it right at the beginning of the book as well, like when she imagined diamonds, she thought they were purple, like smoke. And and I guess that's the other thing because when you imagine these things that you want, you also imagine that they'll give you the satisfaction of having them that doesn't occur when you actually get them in real yeah. life. You, th you associate the having of things or the certain experiences as being enough to fulfill voids in life. Yes. But she's become a lot more conscious. I think that that is not the case. Yeah, she's, she's learning a lot very quickly because she's still, what, 13? Yes. Yes, she's just 13. She's turning 14. Well, I, I don't know because, you know, time seems to be skipping more and more ahead during yeah. these chapters. So, like, this this escapade could have been even, like, a year or two removed from the last chapter. That's true. No, it, 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 they try and stay within the year. But um, what else I really liked about was Miss Barry complimented her on her looks, how beautiful she'd become. And that was a complete shock to Anne. Like she said, oh, I know I have less freckles, but I had no idea. I was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, because she's, she has been upside of Marilla is that she doesn't let her get too caught up in herself. Yeah. She's trying to get her to not be as caught up in herself, to, to form a sense of identity and in terms of also identity of the community, that she belongs, but that it's not not everything is about her. Yeah. Which is, in that sense, that's really important. She mm. needs it. Whereas Matthew also compliments her skills and her abilities, but doesn't necessarily fixate on her appearance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most we've ever gotten that was when she noticed that she needed a new dress. And he does and he does say things like, oh, he thinks that she's very pretty mm. or she's very beautiful. But she do, he doesn't. it's not something that he's going to raise in a conversation. It would take hours of pipe work. Yes, to, exactly. For to come to, get to, to that, that conclusion. But he gets, like, he's very, um, and I think for him, he, it's more about when she talks and when she thinks and what she, like, the, she's, that's more to be praised. Well, even, even um, when we, when they first met and they were on that cart ride home, it was almost a perfect partnership because she loved to talk and he didn't. So he felt comfort just being able to listen to someone else basically carrying the conversation. Hmm. Plus, the stuff she was talking about was so imaginative and just full of wonder and joy. Youth, basically. Well, that, right? And that was the thing that Miss Barry also yeah. noticed. It, was, it wasn't so much what when she was saying her things that were a little bit more, like, it was how she was per perceiving the world and responding to it that made her realize. Initially, she was like, oh, well, this amuses me. And now it's more like, I, I feel young, I feel happy, I see the joy in how she responds yeah. to the world, and that brings me joy. I'd be a better person with an Anne living here. Yeah, pretty much. And, and even Marilla, like, you, this has been four lonesome days. Yeah, she really <laughs> appreciates it. She miss, miss, missed her, and I think that's... She broiled a whole chicken for her. That's huge. Well, it, it is. It is huge. It is huge. In, in a farm life, that's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, it was great. I, I like that chapter. Yeah, it's very right. uplifting. It was great, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, they've all been great. But <laughs> now, <clears throat> what is the next chapter? The called? next chapter is chapter 30. Wow. And it's called The Queen's Class is Organized. Now, Queen's is a college. Oh, yes. 
Yes, they were thinking of sending Anne to Queens when she hit about 15. So I wonder if this is like a two-year jump. Well, it, or a one-year jump, because now they're going to be talking about it. They have it. to study for getting into college. So it'll be like two years of study to get into college or something. Oh, yeah. yeah also, also, I want to point out, this is Chapter 30, and the Kindle is telling me that we are 75% through the book. So by yeah. that basic math, I know it won't divvy up... Uh, uh, consistently, but by chapter 40, we should be we have, nearing the end. We have nine chapters left. Oh, wow. It kind of divvies up well. Yeah, so it's chapter 30. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Yeah, nine. So tomorrow will be the first of the last uh, nine chapters that we go through. Wow. Tomorrow. It, it's tomorrow. been... <laughs> next time. Next time. It, it's been a journey, and... Um, I, I don't know. It, it also. I also feel a little like Miss Barry thinking about nine episodes in the future. Or let's be honest, it'll probably be less than nine because we usually do two chapters. If, if the chapters uh, are long enough, yes. Sure. But but thinking, oh, in a month or two, there will be no new Anne. Oh. But we we will we'll do our best. We'll pick the the next book. We'll hopefully uh, meet these. It won't be Anne, but it'll be something new. Yeah. Um, well, I also like, you know, my, uh, my, the next book will be my pick. Yes. Um, so it's going to be something a little more heavy once again, but hey, that, hey, this is plenty heavy, but it's a whimsical heavy, whimsical heavy. Yes. Yes. But, but, but hopefully after that is done, Rue will delight us with another, um, we'll see pick. who happen. knows she could go darker than the next book. So. <laughs> Rue chose Anna Green Gables because she wanted something light and wonderful after 1984. I needed something to balance out 1984. It was just... It but, was but, but who knows? I'm. <laughs> she might come out of the gate and go, let's do this book. And then we read that book and we're like, why? Why did you choose this book? <laughs> Tears streaming down my face. Torture. Torture. <laughs> Not torture, just sad. Sad. Well, sadness sadness is an emotion that we need to develop as well. Sadness makes us appreciate things. Well, there's that um, thing about how uh, the Greeks, apparently, because theater was their main form of entertainment, mm. they would, at different times of the year, they would have different plays that had different, uh, the idea of catharsis comes mm. from, I think it's a Greek word, the idea that certain times of the year they would have very sad, tragic plays so the uh, population could unload like the pain, the feeling stuff, of yeah. sadness, and be able to yeah. cry. And crying is is not a bad thing. I think we need to. Oh no, it's yeah. it's very healthy. Um, you know, because my life as a man has kind of hammered into me that it's not something I should be doing. I find it very difficult to do so ever since high school, and I I see that as a great problem. Hmm. No, it is it is a huge issue that we don't have um, emotional honesty. I think is the word I want to that we we're discouraged to be emotionally vulnerable or emotionally honest, and particularly, I mean, men. Well, hey, here's the biggest problem to just get a little uh, real about it is that every time, like, if I'm watching a particularly sad movie or reading a book, you know, something. Mm -hmm. Uh, film and uh, novels tend to be uh, what affect me the most. Sometimes mm. music, but mainly mm. film and novels. Oh, actually, live music. No, if I'm watching, like, I remember back when uh, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds came to Brisbane and I got to go up and see that uh, mm. musical, that I was tearing up just at the beauty. It was a very Anne uh, very reaction. 
just that, yeah, the beauty of what, and, what I was there and Yeah, going back to, to that, that idea of, and how, how she responds to something that's just pure and emotionally evocative. That was really interesting as well. I like the way that was described. Yeah, it kind of opened her up. But see, every time that happens to me, I think there's there's like there's like a, a switch in me that kind of goes oh you, you you're on you're you're tearing up you're on the verge of crying we need to stop that because you haven't done it for so long there's the fear that if you start you're you not going stop, to be able yeah. to stop it's going to be you know the dam will burst and all that pent up emotion of now like uh, close to twenty years is just going to go uh, yeah. Although sometimes it's safer to let it all out and then hopefully not let it build up that bad. Oh yeah, yes. The but but sadly that's a thing about actually a lot of emotion. I have the same fear about getting too angry that all the rage of that amount of time might come out. Sorry, I've returned back to the angry pun. (laughs) You know that instead of. delving deep into uh my damage let's let's go with the pun let's go with the pun let's just go lighthearted now and and let's um end the podcast so the music at the top of the podcast was avonlea by Hagood hardy i almost mixed that up myself uh at the end of the podcast was i'm the slime by frank zappa you can find me on twitter at dave underscore the underscore turnip you can find me at Roomacmoo, R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. You can find our podcast Twitter and Facebook page at SMBSLT Podcast. And if you would like to email us, it's smbsltpodcast at gmail.com. Please, uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, leave us some feedback uh, wherever you deem appropriate. We would love to hear from you. Um, what you like about the podcast, what you think we can improve, what you think of the books we're reading if you have suggestions for future books we will definitely take those on board for sure and also additionally if you happen to be an author who would like us to consider reading your book out loud and and engaging in dialogue um about it and the themes that it raises if you if you from what you've heard of the podcast so far if you think it's appropriate to uh, the way our minds work and the discussions we have. Yeah, if we're a good match, man, if we're a good match. Um, if it works, um, you are most welcome to reach out to us and ask us to read it up. We don't make money out of this. And so far we've been hitting the public domain because we want to avoid all nastiness, even though there are authors that are not in the public domain that I want to cover so badly. But if, 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 if it's something that's done with your permission, if you're self-published, for example, if you have a really friendly publishing company that is happy with that idea, um, please reach out, contact us. We do have a preference, not a preference per se, because a lot of the classic literature that we have access to is written by deceased white men um so it would be nice to have access to literature or stories or even if you have suggestions stories that are written from a perspective of someone that isn't that isn't that because we we read a lot of books and a lot of literature especially classic literature is from that perspective as opposed to and we we just others. want we just want um a counterbalance yeah i will say that uh, alexander dumas is is on my top list of um, authors that we do want to read so that's already 
Yeah, I, I have not read Count of Monte Cristo or The Three Musketeers, so I would be excited to do and either. Count of Monte Cristo is how my, we'll go into the delightful story, that's how my grandfather taught himself German. Ah. By using the English copy of the book, because he read English and he spoke English, um, and then he taught himself by having a copy of the book that was in German and a dictionary. You know, I've, I've heard of people learning English through the Harry Potter books that way. Yep. I, and I'm sure any book that they, any book you love, if you can get that book in another language, mm. it's probably, it's probably a great way to learn because the passion for the story is there and that will carry you through the difficulty of translation and learning what words sure. mean and how the grammar works. Yes. So yes. Uh, until next time, though. Um, yeah, where yeah. We will we will dis we'll go into chapter thirty. Yeah, and um, and learning how uh, well and preparing for higher education. Yes. If that is indeed what the chapter is about. Well, it's about the classic queens. So yes, we're going to go with that. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. Uh, till next time. Happy reading, everyone. Okay. Bye. <laughs>